Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, and I'm streaming from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho today, and I'm super excited to have pharmacist Ben Fuchs back on our show. He was on our show oh, about six months ago and wanted to have him back on to talk about his expertise, which is skincare. He's been dealing with skincare for actually most of his career actually because he even did it in pharmacy school and he can tell us a little story that kind of an interesting story that how we kind of got into skincare originally in pharmacy school so um you don't want to miss out on the show because you're going to learn how to take care of your skin what products are important what ingredients are important and um yeah with without further ado ben uh, let's get started talking about skin health all right my favorite organ glad to be back on thanks for inviting me yes. um you know, what is the body's largest organ, Sean? The skin. That's, I think a lot of people know that the skin is. But it's not, though. The skin is not the body's largest organ. Oh, really? Uh, just recently, just a couple of years ago, it was discovered there's another organ larger than the skin. And it was recently discovered, interestingly. Isn't that interesting how they, they didn't know this organ existed until about two or three years ago? Okay, I got to hear this. I know. It's a great story, right? Um, in fact, on my radio program, I do a, I did a trivia question. I said, what's the body's largest organ? It took people two weeks. Finally, after two weeks, somebody came up with it, figured out what it was. Um, but the skin is certainly a large organ. It's the second largest organ uh, in the body. And that's, it's really large. And here's the thing that I find ironic about the skin. It's on the outside of the body. So of all the organs, it should be the most, most understood. It's right on the outside of the body, right? But it's not. It's extremely misunderstood. And unfortunately, this misunderstanding is taken advantage of by interests, you know, that don't necessarily have the skin, uh, an individual's skin health or skin beauty or skin concerns in mind. And that's why we have a multi-billion dollar, probably a $500 billion skincare business around the world. The skincare business, the modern skincare industry was born before we really understood the skin. The modern skincare business was born in the late, 18th, late 19th century when this little old Russian lady came over from, from, from Russia to the United States. She had no money, uh, but she did have some recipes, some DIY recipes. Russians and Eastern Europeans were always interested in were always doing DIY stuff, do-it-yourself stuff. And so she brought some DIY recipes with her, uh, in, and she figured, I don't have any money, so this will be this is going to be what I do. And so she started to create skincare products in her kitchen based on her grandmother, her Russian grandmother's DIY recipes. Now, keep in mind, this is the 19th century. Not only did this predate our understanding of the skin, it actually predated our understanding of the cells. We didn't even have cell theory until 73 or 1860. Right. And we're doing, you, follow, you see what I'm saying? We're doing skincare. Yeah. We're trying to treat this organ with no understanding. So what this little old lady did, and by the way, this little old lady's Russian lady, her name was Helena Rubinstein. Have you ever heard of this? The, she's, no, there's an no, well, yeah, you wouldn't, but there's a makeup line and there's a cosmetic line now called Helena Rubenstein. And she's given the, oh. she she is known as the, the mother of the modern skincare business. Uh, and her thing, because she didn't really understand the skin and all she could really do was put stuff on the surface of the skin. What she did is she made skincare about women's empowerment. Now keep in mind, this is the late 18th, the late 19th century and women were still not allowed to do things. Women couldn't vote. They were kept in the house. There was a lot of, there was right. a lot of, uh, a lot of oppression and chauvinism and really prejudice against women in terms of how they could participate in the culture. But it was just beginning to change. And so Helena Rubenstein was on the forefront of this idea of empowering women. And what she did was she said, it's empowering to take care of your skin. 
It's empowering. It's expressing your femininity. It's expressing your womanhood if you take care of your skin. And she made skincare about expressing femininity, expressing womanhood. She didn't make it about taking care of the skin or addressing the skin because she didn't know how to do it because we didn't really understand the skin. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have electron microscopes. We didn't really have histology. We didn't really understand the cells. It's like we didn't even know the cell, the cell theory, which says that everything comes from the cell, didn't come around till like 20 years after Helena Rubenstein started her business. So skincare got, uh, from the very get-go, was not really about the skin. It was about ancillary or supporting ideas, how to mm. uh, expressing your beauty. You know, before, Helena Rubenstein, the only people who took care of their skin were vamps. You know, they were like the, the hussies, the, the, okay. the, you know, the women of the night. They're people who, who would sit on, get, you know, leave on the piano at the bar rooms and, you know, sing their hussy songs. I don't know. I'm just using my imagination from what right. I was in the movie. Right. You know what I'm saying? You get the picture of what I'm saying. So Helena Rubenstein said, no, no, no. This is about you being a woman, you being powerful, you being expressive. You being proud of being of your femininity and expressing your femininity, wearing makeup and taking care of your skin and, and eyeliners and all the, you know, all the things that women do. So skincare from the very get-go was not about the skin. It was about other ideas. And so as the skincare business progressed, really the, there was no need to change because people were buying skincare products. And so they just kept it going. And we, when we started to understand the skin, which is basically, believe it or not, the 1980s. 1970s and 1980s when we really understood the skin, which is very recent. You know, one of my jobs, you, you alluded to the, my experience, my background, one of my jobs in pharmacy school when I was working for Listex was to go to the library and study the lips and study the skin and study ingredients. There was not a lot of information out there. Information about how to take care of the skin and what the skin was and the structure of the tissue, et cetera, didn't really get going until the end of the 20th century, even to the beginning of the 21st century. But skincare was stuck in this old model. So even to this very day, we're still using the concoctions, the, the basic concoctions that Helena Rubinstein uh, developed uh, in, in the 1860s. It hasn't advanced. Now, you gave me one other aspect of health or healthcare that has not advanced in 150 or 160 years. There aren't any. It's only the skin. And to this day, there's this idea that you can't really do anything about the skin using skincare. What I discovered as a pharmacist and as a bodybuilder and as a weightlifter because I got a lot of my understandings that I take care of the skin from my athletic background, was that there was a way to take care of the skin. That if you understood the mechanics uh, and the dynamics of tissue and of cell growth, there were ways that you could access the tissue, access the cells and the tissue that comes from the cells through topical means that would not only beautify the skin, but also make it healthy. And that indeed is the missing link in beauty. Health is beauty. If you're not changing the health milieu of the skin, then you're not truly changing the beauty of the skin. You can superficially and cosmetic, and even the word cosmetic has come to mean superficial, you can superficially and cosmetically manipulate the skin to sort of make it look like it's healthy, and that's what makeup is, really. When you wear, when right. a woman wears makeup, they're, they're trying to show off health. They're trying to demonstrate that their skin is healthy without it having to be healthy. So basically, they paint the skin to make it look like it's healthy. And so we intuitively understand that health equals beauty, but heretofore, until my true skin health came out, uh, product came out, nobody's really addressed creating healthy changes in the skin, changing the milieu of the skin from the cellular level upward in order to beautify. And that's what, to me, that's the missing link in skincare. That's why, Sean, check this out. 
you know, the skincare business is so big. You know why it's so big? It's so big because it doesn't work. Skincare doesn't work. And that's why skincare business is so big because everybody's always looking for the latest thing. Everybody's mm -hmm. always scrolling through Instagram and through Facebook to see what else they could do because nobody's happy. Nobody's satisfied. And the reason they're not satisfied is because skincare is superficial and it's not about health. If you start to address the health of the tissue, you will get true changes. And if you find a product that can do that, you're never going to change. You're never going to switch. True treatments, we have a 75 to 80% retention rate. And in the business, there's a, the standard in the business is 5 to 10%. And the reason is, is because with my formulations, we're changing the health of the skin. And that's why you can use our wrinkle creams or our wrinkle serums or anti-aging serums on sunburn or on your baby's diaper rash or on a cut or a scrape or, or, or a, some kind of skin trauma post-surgical. You can put our True Transdermal C Serum on all of these kinds of uh, beauty, uh, super uh, ostensibly beauty issues and, and create uh, health changes in the skin that will manifest as healing of skin diseases and skin traumas. You could even use my Truth Treatments products on a horse or a dog or a cat because what we're doing, and this is really the key to having beautiful skin, is you have to address the living part of the skin. And this is true about new pharmacy too, by the way. This is true about internally, the body internally. If you want to have a healthy body, it's not about the tissue. It's about the cells that give rise to the tissue. No, and right. That, that's where you have to be. You know, I do when I do my talks, I tease people a little bit. I'll go, I'll say, uh, Sean, there's no such thing as as skin cancer. There's no such thing as breast cancer. There's no such thing as prostate cancer. There's no such thing as bone cancer, pancreatic cancer. There's no such thing as gallbladder cancer. And you say, what the heck is Ben talking about? There's no such, my, my mother had breast cancer. You know, I have skin cancer. You tell me there's no such thing as skin cancer. Yeah, there's no such thing as skin cancer. There's no such thing as breast cancer. But there's skin cell cancer. There's yeah. breast cell cancer. There's prostate cell cancer. Not understanding the cellular nature of health and disease costs us health and induces disease. It costs us the ability to address disease and it costs us health. Not understanding the cellular nature of health and disease. Not understanding the cellular nature of the body. Cell theory says everything comes from cells. We didn't have that basis until 20 or 30 years after the pharmacy, modern pharmacy business was born and after the modern skincare business was, was born. And there's a reason why nobody talks about this, Sean. See, there is nothing in the doctor's magical bag of tricks that can address a cell. All the medical model can do is poison a cell with drugs, uh, radiate a cell with x-rays, electrocute a cell uh, with electrical devices or ablations, or um, excise a cell with surgeries. But it cannot feed a cell. It cannot nurture a cell. It cannot oxygenate a cell. It cannot detoxify a cell. See, those are the only things, that, while all diseases sell disease, all, cell, all break, bodily breakdown is initiated at the level of the cell. Right. There's only a few things that can go wrong with the cell. A cell can be starved. It can be missing nutrients. It could be suffocated. It could have not be getting enough oxygen. Or it can be, um, it can be uh, toxified. It can be, it could be swimming in an ocean of crap. See, the cells right. are sitting in a fluid encasement. And by the way, this is the body's largest organ. The body's largest organ is called the interstitium. The interstitium is the fluid-filled matrix that holds all the liquid in the body within which the cells sit. This was just discovered 20, uh, two or three years ago. And this fluid-filled matrix is what 
feeds the cell, it's what oxygenates the cell, and it's what detoxifies the cell. The problem with this, with, with this scenario really gets to be problematic is once a cell is suffocated or toxic or starved, it can't do its business, and when that happens long enough, it dies. When a cell dies, it explodes, and like all living beings, including human beings and, and, bot and uh, animals and anything that dies, when a, a, a body or a cell dies, it starts to emit all of its contents. And the cellular contents, just like the body's contents, are acids and enzymes and micro, uh, in the bot, in terms of the body, microbes. And so uh, we bury our dead. Why do we bury our dead? Because you can't have all this stuff in the environment, all this toxicity from dead bodies, from, from dead bodies so we bury our dead. If the cells are the same way. When a cell dies, it starts to emit in the local area where it died, it starts to emit enzymes and acids and toxins. And, and this is a very dangerous situation. So the body will create a barrier around these dead cells. That barrier is a protective barrier. Well, if it happens once, that's okay, or twice, that's okay. But over the course of our, you know, our standard American lifestyles, where we're all malnourished and we're all suffocating and we're all, um, we're all toxic, you have lots of these cells dying, so you have lots of these barriers, lots of these pockets. The net technical name for these barriers is has a very technical name. We all say what, the, what these barriers are, but nobody ever really addresses that word. That word is inflammation. Those oh. barriers are inflammation. They're fibers, and there's clotting, and there's, uh, there's fluids, and everything gets kind of walled off. That's what inflammation is. But it's not the kind of inflammation that we all think about. We all think about inflammation, we think of a black eye. Or we think when I, I sprained my ankle or I twisted my knee or, you know, uh, the kind of inf inflammation we see. That's macro inflammation. The kind of inflammation that occurs at the level of the cell you don't see. That is micro inflammation. You cannot see micro inflammation until it reaches a critical mass. Sometimes I'm talking on the radio and, I, you know, I take calls on the radio and people say, I was just minding my own business and I got arthritis. Or I was just sitting there watching TV and I got fibromyalgia. And right. that's how it appears. But what we don't see is this inflammatory process that's occurring day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, until it reaches a critical mass. Now, you see, when this microinflammatory wall protects the, the rest of the tissue from these dead cells, that creates a problem because now it's good, you need it, but you can't get nutrients through that, that wall. You can't get oxygen through that wall and toxins cannot leave that wall. So more cells die and then there's more inflammatory barriers to protect from the more cells and then more oxygen can't get through and nutri nutrients can't get through and toxicity can't leave. So more cells die. And you end up with this continuous downward spiral of cell death and inflammation and more cell death and more inflammation and more cell death and more inflammation. And this is why we're so unhealthy. Now, in terms of the skin, it's the same thing. If you want to have healthy skin, you've got to have healthy skin cells. If you have a skin problem, even though you see it here, it starts at the cellular level. Even dry skin is the manifestation of cells that aren't doing their business. This is something as simple as dry skin. You know, when it's human skin should never be dry. It's designed through evolution, through millions of years of evolution, to not be dry. And there's fascinating, brilliant, complicated just the most elegant mechanisms you could, biochemical mechanisms you could ever dream of to keep the skin from being dry, but it's all based on the health of the cell. And here's the issue. You look at the skin, you know, it doesn't really look like much is happening here, right? 
but the skin is stratified. It's layered like baklava or like lasagna. It has a top layer, it has multiple layers. So uh, even though it doesn't look like much is happening here, if you get past the skin surface, there's a whole bunch happening, especially down in what's called the basal layer and even deeper in what's called the dermis, which is where all the connective tissue and the collagen is. And this is where the living cells are. Up at the top, there's no living cells. If you go out and get your fancy $150 moisturizing cream from the salon or the department store, you rub it on your skin, guess what? Guess what you got for your $150 fancy schmancy moisturizer? You got soft, dead skin. And that's exactly what people are doing with their moisturizers. They're softening their dead skin. They're not doing anything to address the problem, which is occurring at the cellular level, but it's even worse than that. Because you see, when you put something on the surface of the skin, you do something called occlusion. Occlusion means to cover up, right? So when you cover up the skin, the skin can no longer read the environment. The skin, the cells of the skin are sensors. They're receptive to the environment and they're especially receptive to relative humidity. So that when you go to uh, uh, come to Colorado from, from Miami or from New York and the relative humidity drops, your skin being a responsive and intelligent structure actually reads the relative humidity, the drop in relative humidity. And when it's healthy, it will start to stimulate the production of more moisture factors. Skin has an ability to suck in water from the air. And that sucking in property are hygroscopic, we say in biochemistry, the hygroscopic property of these molecules is dependent on the production of various proteins and sugars and uh, lipids, fats, all of these function to, to absorb moisture from the air. However, when you wear a moisturizer, you suppress all of that. You keep the body, you keep the skin, number one, from sensing in the first place, so it doesn't really know what's happening up there. And secondly, you block the ability of those molecules to trap water. So the more moisturizer you use, Sean, the drier your skin becomes. Now, you, you said I, I work, you know, you talked about my little story, you know, when I was in pharmacy school, and it, it's an interesting story because, and I'll just briefly tell it, I was walking through the basement of the school of pharmacy one day, and I smell, I smell this peppermint smell coming out of one of the rooms. I walk into the room, the laboratory, and I was a lab geek. I wasn't really happy studying, you know, drug names and synonyms and, you know, the pharmacy law. I wanted to be in the laboratory. I wanted to learn. So I go in the lab and I'm blown away. Well, it turns out oh, there's this little old man. He's working in the back with some beakers. And it turns out that this lab that I walked into was the Blistex Research Lab. And so cool. Little, isn't that a cool story? And the little old man who would take around beakers was Dr. Tony Jones. He's the guy who invented Blistex many years ago in, in Texas in the 1920s. This was the early 80s. And uh, so I charged chat him up and we hit it off. And next thing I know, he said, hey, I need a research assistant. So I became Dr. Jones' research assistant. And I learned everything you could possibly want to know about skincare, but especially about the lips. And one of the things that you probably know, and most people listening to this know, is the more Blistex you use, the drier your lips are. There are people who can't go 10 or 15 minutes without putting Blistex or ChapStick or, or Carmex on their lips because their lips are so severely dry, even though they're constantly putting on ChapStick and Blistex. Why? Well, that whole, that whole mechanism, that whole uh, um, biochemical process that I just talked about where the body senses uh, ambient humidity and then produces more moisture factors to trap more water when you're in a drier climate or drier humidity, uh, that happens in the lips extremely. And this phenomenon doesn't just happen on the lips. It happens on the skin as well. So that our lack of understanding, number one, and our lack of technology and techniques to be able to address the cells, 
whether we're talking about the skin or whether we're talking about the internal milieu of the body, in terms of the skin costs us beauty and costs us skin health, and in terms of the body costs us longevity and, and costs us uh, 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 an ability to recover and heal that is built into the body and built into the cells themselves. And you and I as pharmacists, you know, we are trained in how to poison the cell. That's what a pharma, that's what a drug is. You know, people yeah. are always amazed when I say, you know, and I'm sure you the same way, you know, there's no drugs that heal the body. A drug is not going to heal anything. That's not the role of a drug. A drug is there to, is designed to interfere, to block some kind of cell response. And how does it block it? It doesn't block it in a nice, kind way. Oh, Mr. Cell, we're going we're gonna to let you relax now. No, it poisons the cell. It interferes with some kind of biochemical process that nature wants to mandate, that nature wants to have. And this is why they have this thing called first pass effect, or they have, they have, to, take, they have to take into account first pass effect. First pass effect is when the liver will detoxify everything. So they have to give you a drug that's double the dose that you really need to account Orally. for the Right to account for first pass yeah. effect. Right. Yeah. This is why transdermal is so beneficial because you bypass this whole trans, this whole first pass effect uh, right. uh, phenomena. It's also why. What's the number one? Uh, what's the number one side effect on all drugs? Number one. Nausea. Nausea. No. Oral drug. Oral drugs is nausea. Nausea. Number one. Right. And then second is diarrhea. Why? Because your body is saying, get these Satan behind me. You know? yeah. It's saying, get out of here. I want you gone. You know, this is what drugs do. And this is why I call myself a nutritional pharmacist. And on my radio program, I say, nutrients are what drugs dream they could be. When prednisone goes to bed at night, it dreams it was vitamin C. Why? Because, <laughs> because a vitamin, a nutrient, is a, a drug's best dream. It's completely benign it has multiple benefits it's cheap and it works for whatever you're trying to treat it works and this is what it, imagine if you know vitamin c can help you support collagen production it's important for cardiovascular health it's important for the production of moisture factors it's an antioxidant that protects you from the sun the list of vitamin c benefits is endless imagine if i told you i have a new drug sean uh, it can support collagen production it will protect you from the sun it will fight colds and flus. It's anti-cancer and it's completely non-toxic and it's cheap. What, what, what kind of drug? That would be the most amazing drug that ever existed, right? But there's no drugs like that and there never will be a drug like that. But it doesn't matter because God gave us drugs. God gave us the perfect drugs. We call them nutrition. We call them nutrients. And what's more, most health challenges at their core have some kind of nutritional deficiency. That's that's what I learned in pharmacy school, and I was that's what really got me going. Is when we studied, but you know, pharmacists, as you know, when we use, when we study nutrition in pharmacy school, we don't study nutrition like a dietitian studies it, or like a nutritionist studies it, or like a doctor studies it. We study nutrition like a pharmacist, which means we study the medicinal properties of nutrients. We study the therapeutic properties of nutrients, and we study nutrient deficiencies as a cause of disease, night blindness as a, as a vitamin A deficiency, eczema as an essential fatty acid deficiency, osteoporosis or, or bone problems as a vitamin D deficiency. You know, we study these th the relationship of disease to nutrition, and we study the relationship of nutrition to well-being and to health. And so to me, I consider myself a nutritional pharmacist, not just 
in terms of the internal part of the body, but topically as well. And just like there's no drugs that can heal the body, there are no topical skincare ingredients that can heal the body that are not, or heal the skin or beautify the skin that are not nutritionally based. And that could be nutrition in terms of raw ingredients, which I like to use things like vitamin C and vitamin A and zinc and polyelectrolytes, or it can be nutrition in terms of herbs and plants, which contain phytonutrients and also uh, other uh, uh, macroscopic nutrients that can be uh, that can be delivered through various plants and herbs and even food materials. So if you want to have healthy skin, you got to address the cell. And if you're going to address the cell effectively, it has to be with something that the cell recognizes, which for the most part are what we call the mighty 90 essential nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, the amino acids, and the essential fatty acids, as well as phytonutrients. And then some kind of delivery mechanism that will allow those active materials to traverse through the skin surface and get to the basal layer and the dermis where the fibroblasts that make the collagen and the high hyaluronic acid live and the keratinocytes that are going to make the moisture factors and produce the strong, healthy barrier layer. Wow, that was good, Ben. I That was a good lesson for me, that's for sure. I, I'm sure our listeners and viewers enjoyed it too. Um, I think you've uh, discussed this just a few times before. Yes, I've, I've been talking about this. <laughs> Um, so tell me to simplify it for myself, especially like, what are your three top selling, uh, um, products? Well, let's talk about ingredients first. The three most important ingredients for healthy skin from a topical perspective. And if you're not using these three ingredients on a regular basis, you're missing the boat on skincare. If you're stranded on a desert Island and you can only bring three ingredients for your skin, you want to bring number one, fat soluble. And that's a very important fatty. Vitamin C, not water-soluble vitamin C, not ascorbic acid, which is water-soluble vitamin C. Ascorbic acid is, is very valuable internally, and it's very important. And here's something else very interesting. You know, there was a disease that happened in the, it, that's, that used to occur in the Middle Ages and even before, but especially in the Middle Ages and up until the, up until the 1600s, 1700s, it was very common. This is a horrible, horrible disease where you would die because you would hemorrhage to death. But before you would hemorrhage to death, your teeth would fall out of your gums and your, your bones would become really fragile and you'd have these horrible wounds that wouldn't heal and your skin would be, would be super fragile and your eyes would be, uh, would be very sensitive to the sun. And, and it was just basically this horrible condition, arthritis and joint problems and, horrible, and heart problems, this horrible disease that people would die from very commonly. And it was called scurvy, right? And it was a horrible disease. Somewhere around the 1600s, 1700s, they figured out that if you eat oranges and you ate limes and you ate citrus fruits, you wouldn't get scurvy. They didn't know why exactly, but they knew that if you ate limes, you wouldn't get scurvy or citrus fruits, you wouldn't get scurvy. So everybody started eating citrus fruits uh, and those rates of scurvy dropped down until about the early 20th century when they saw what was in the limes that was causing the scurvy, that was uh, preventing the scurvy. Uh, and they found a molecule that was an anti-scurvy molecule. And they called this molecule ascorbotic, ascurvy without scurvy acid. Technically, ah. we call it ascorbic acid. Ascorbic That's acid is a- Interesting. Yeah, ascorbotic. It, it prevented scurvy. And that's yeah. how they named the molecule, ascorbotic acid, right? So this ascorbotic acid molecule was known to prevent the symptoms of scurvy. Well, if you think, read a list of the symptoms of scurvy, joint problems, bone problems, skin problems, gum disease, heart disease, vascular issues, it reads like a laundry list 
of all the things that happen as we get older. Scurvy is accelerated aging. It's a dramatically accelerated aging, and aging is subclinical scurvy. Literally, all of the things that are associated with scurvy are like a list of all the things that happen when you get old, except in a much more dramatic fashion. So aging itself as a manifestation of subclinical scurvy or as a version of subclinical scurvy is a vitamin C issue, largely. Vitamin C is the quintessential anti-aging vitamin. It stops all of the symptoms associated with aging. And this ludicrousness of the RDA, you know what the RDA, right? The RDA stands for? Yeah, six, yeah. The ridiculous deficiency allowance. <laughs> right? Right. Because it's there to keep you ridiculously deprived. Because right. the RDA is there so you don't get a full-blown disease, but they're not there to keep you healthy. They're right. there to keep you, you don't, maybe you only need 100 milligrams a day, which is the RDA of vitamin C to keep you from having full-blown scurvy, but you need 10 grams of it a day or five grams of a day or four grams of a day or huge amounts of it to keep yourself from subclinical scurvy. We are, we are using nutrition to prevent us from getting clinical diseases, but not subclinical symptomology. So we're leaving health on the table. Yes, you're not getting scurvy, but life is not about just not getting scurvy. Being healthy is not just about not having a full-blown disease. It's about being maximally healthy. And so what we need to start to understand is the RDAs are not there to keep us maximally healthy, just like medicine is not here to keep us maximally healthy, just like the medical model is not here to keep us maximally healthy. The medical model and medicine and the RDAs are, there to keep, are here to keep us from being full-blown diseased. But okay. that's not the same as being maximally healthy. Likewise with the skin. Just like vitamin C is important for the, by the way, the reason vitamin C is important for all of these things, these aging issues, is because vitamin C is the key element or, or the key that turns on the ignition, the machinery of connective tissue building. The body is made up of connective tissue largely. Actually, there's four tissues, right? You've got connective tissue, muscle tissue, nervous tissue, and uh, covering tissue called epithelial tissue, right? It's like, do you ever see the bodies exhibit at the museum? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, right? So if you look at the bodies exhibit, you look at those things, you can see it's a body. You might not know if it's a Japanese or a black person or, or a white person, or you can't, don't, can't see the features, but you know yeah. it's a body, right? Right. Because that's who we are. The rest is just coding and electricity, right? It's like you have the body, and then you have uh, uh, candy coating, and then you have electrical wiring, and that's the body. Those are the four tissues of the body. This middle part, the body's exhibit part, I call it the flesh robot. And this flesh robot is largely who we are. And the flesh robot is dependent on the, uh, the integrity and the strength of the connective tissue. The connective tissue is what holds it all in place. What happens as we get older? All the signs of aging that we hate are all based in the connective tissue. The hunched over appearance, the osteoporosis, the joint disease, the wrinkles, the wounds that won't heal, all of this, the, the heart disease, the vascular problems, all of these are based in the connective tissue. So building connective tissue is the sine qua non, the very essence of anti-aging. Vitamin C is the, is the key that turns on the production of connective tissue. So anywhere where you're dealing with a connective tissue health challenge, and all health challenges have some health con connective tissue component, start using vitamin C. The second critical ingredient, if you're stranded on a desert island, you can only bring three ingredients, is vitamin A. 
And you and I know as pharmacists, you know, the dermatology that we have, the, the dermatological pharmacy courses that we have, what's the only FDA approved active ingredient for the skin for anti-aging the skin? Retin-A, right? Retinoic acid, retin-A. And so I'm old enough, you know, I'm a little older than you. And I remember when Retin-A was an acne medicine only. And so we would dispense it to teenagers or to moms who brought their teenagers in, you know, and they get their Retin-A for their acne. And then a month later, just the mom would come in without the teenager and she would get the kids Retin-A. And, the, and then the insurance company started sending us notes. They said, we are not paying for Retin-A for anybody over 20 years old because they knew <laughs> Were, the moms were getting the retin-A. What's happened? The moms were, were finding out or realizing, wait a minute, my kid's acne medicine is helping my wrinkles. My, <laughs> kid, my kid's acne medicine is helping my skin. So Johnson & Johnson got wise and they were like, okay, we're going to get an indication for anti-aging in addition to, to for acne. And today, to this day, you know, 50 or 60 years after retin-A has been out, to this day, retin-A is the only FDA-approved uh, uh, topical product for not just preventing wrinkles, but for reversing them. It's the only FDA approved ingredient for reversing wrinkles. Differin and adapalene and these other drugs that are, they, they're retinoids, they're not indicated for that, right? Only yeah. Retin-A. What is it about Retin-A? Well, Retin-A is a cream that contains the active form of vitamin A. And while vitamin C is pluripotent, it's got all of these multiple benefits and it's great for your skin, Vitamin A is even beyond belief. It's hard to even, it may be the most important vitamin in the body for all kinds of things. Vitamin A is a growth substance. It makes things grow, makes cells divide. Technically, it helps cells mature correctly, which is a process called differentiation, which is pretty amazing. It's got this intelligence built into it. Yeah. So vitamin A is the second critical uh, topical nutrient, but vitamin A is a little tricky. Retinoic acid, which is the active ingredient right now, that's active vitamin A, and that's a drug. There is a precursor to active vitamin A. It gets converted into vitamin A, and that's called retinol. Retinol is not as strong as retinoic acid. It's about 100 times weaker, but it's still, by virtue of the fact that it gets converted into retinoic acid, albeit at a slower rate or at a, at a slow rate, it's still extremely effective for the skin. And just like you're missing the boat on skincare if you're not using fat-soluble vitamin C, you're missing the boat on skincare if you're not using retinol, if you're going over the counter, or retinoic acid if you want to get a prescription. And then the third most important is minerals. But not just any minerals, but electrolyte minerals. Minerals that have an electrical charge associated with them. And this is another very interesting, something I'm particularly fascinated with, uh, is the quantum or physics or electrical nature of the body, of cells, and of the skin. And this is 21st century skincare, is this idea that in order to have healthy skin, you've got to have a healthy electrical milieu. Electrolytes are the carriers of water soluble, of, of water electrical charges. That's what makes something an electrolyte. It's all in water, facilitates the movement of electricity through fluids. And so that's why electrolytes are so important. If you go to the hospital, What's the first thing they do? No matter what your health challenge is, what's the first thing they do? Boom, electrolytes right in the blood. Topical electrolytes have multifunctional benefits, not only supporting the electrical charges of the skin, but also acting as trans transdermal delivery support aids. So if you use polyelectrolytes with your skincare products, you'll get better penetration of your vitamin C and of your retinol and your other active ingredients. 
And then the fourth is going to the gym. You know, I told you earlier how I learned a lot of this stuff because I was working out a lot. And in the, back in the 80s, you know, I maybe still to this day, but I, don't, I haven't done this for a while. But in the 80s, we were obsessed with bodybuilding magazines and weightlifter magazines. I don't, you know, I don't know. Did you ever get into this whole thing? with? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You would read all the bodybuilding magazines, the weightlifting magazines. And, and it turns out that one of the major techniques for building muscle is resistance training, putting stress on the, on the muscles, and then immediately following it up with nutrition. We always think stress is a bad thing. Stress is not a bad thing. Stress is a good thing, but it has to be balanced with rest and it has to be sustained with nutrition. So the combination of stress and rest and nutrition, I call it extra rest instead of exercise, extra rest, stress and nutrition, uh, stress and rest, plus nutrition is what accounts for the growth of the body. Well, when I was working out, I knew this principle, this idea of extra rest and nutrition. I, I was taking advantage of it. And then when I had skincare, I was like, wait a minute. Growing skin is very similar. What if we did the same, applied the same strategy to the skin? Well, it turns out that's exactly what happens. When you put the appropriate stressor on the skin and follow it up with nutrition, you get the same benefits on the skin that you do when you, in your muscles or your biceps when you lift weights, do your curls, and come home and do your nutrition. So then what is it that we can use to, to work out the skin, to stress the skin? Well, stressing the skin, it, you know, when you stress the muscle, you're tearing up the muscle tissue, right? But when you stress the skin, you're, you want to tear up the skin. And how do you do that? Well, the stratum corneum, the skin surface, sends messages down to the dermis where the cells grow and the basal layer where the, where the skin cells grow to say, hey, shingles are missing from the roof. Let's get going. Let's produce more cells. Let's produce more collagen. And this controlled wounding of the skin is akin to controlled damage of the muscles when you, when you uh, tear up the muscles. So what can you use to control wound the skin? There's lots of things you could do, but my favorite thing to do, or fa my favorite ingredient to use is alpha hydroxy acids and beta hydroxy acids because glycolic acid turns on the production of all of the things that make your skin healthy the way weightlifting turns on the production of healthy muscle. Now, glycolic acid is just one of the alpha hydroxy acids. There's lactic acid, there's mandelic acid, there's, uh, there's uh, tartaric acid, there's citric acid. There's a bunch of them. In fact, alpha hydroxy acids are a fundamental component of biology. And alpha hydroxy acids or their partner, which is called beta hydroxy acid, which is, most, which is for the most part salicylic acid, those are the fourth major active ingredient that you want for your skin. So the way you do it is you use alpha hydroxy acids uh, four times a week, five times a week, like you're going to the gym. You take days off because it's not when you're lifting weights, Sean, that your muscles grow. It's the next day when you're sitting on your butt watching TV, right? Yep. When your muscles grow. So knowing how to leverage the rest period, knowing how to leverage the refractory period is very important. So you want to stimulate your skin like you're going to the gym with alpha hydroxy acids once a week, twice a week, five times a week. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. And then immediately after you use your alpha hydroxy acids, you drive in your topical nutrients. You drive in your fat-soluble vitamin C. You drive in your polyelectrolytes. You drive in your retinoids. And I'll tell you something, Sean. If you do this correctly, if you stimulate your skin correctly, and a few little parameters that you have to recognize with alpha hydroxy acid, the pH is very important. The concentration is important. How you apply the product is important. But if you do it correctly and you pound the skin with nutrition and you take enough rest period, rest uh, uh, time off, Guarantee, 100% guarantee, 
you will have better skin. So we do have a question from a viewer, if you don't mind answering, and hopefully you can read this. Can you read that right there? Yes. Yeah, Lee Pin says, what is the most effective supplement to improve skin health post Mohs surgery? For all skin health issues, for all post-surgical issues, focus on building connective tissue. But number two, internal vitamin C, um, also essential fatty acids, and also uh, connective tissue building supplements that include collagen, collagen peptides, and things like bone broth and bone broth protein. So anything that has things like hyaluronic acid in it and glucosamine in it and uh, sulfur amino acids in it, things like taurine and cysteine and methionine, all these are going to be important for building connective tissue. Copper is the most important mineral for building connective tissue. And whenever you're taking copper, you always want to make sure you take it with vitamin C. And then all of your fatty nutrients, especially the fatty hormones, which are vitamin A, fatty nutrient hormones, I should say, vitamin A and vitamin D. And then I know uh, you're big on HRT. HRT is also very helpful for building connective tissue, estrogen and progesterone. And testosterone. And testosterone. Very good point. I should say especially testosterone for connective tissue. Yeah. So, Ben, um, in the last in the last minute as we uh, wrap up this podcast, what is the what is the best way to get a hold of you? All right, so there's lots of ways to get a hold of me. Uh, I, I take question, I answer questions all the time. They can send an email to uh, support at truthtreatments.com. Thank you for that, Sean. Support at truthtreatments.com. Ben at ksco.com. I also have a radio show that I do on weekends called The Bright Side. You can Google me on that. And you can do, I have a lot of YouTube videos. You can Google that as well. But if you want to just communicate with me, probably the best way is support at truthtreatments.com with an S, truthtreatments.com or Ben at KSCO.com. Awesome, Ben. I love it. Thank you for being on. I think you've helped us realize our goal, which is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health. So thank you very much. And thank you listeners and viewers for tuning into Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thanks for tuning in today.